Welcome back to another episode of the Jambase Podcast. I'm Andy Kahn, and Jambase is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. On this episode, we'll hear my interview with Ethan Miller of Holland Rain, who recently released their fantastic new album, The Dharma Wheel. That chat is coming right up, but first, let's hear about this episode's sponsor, Snug Pups. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Snug Pups. Snug Pups makes officially licensed Grateful Dead dog coats. Now your dog can be a deadhead too. Use the discount code JAMBASE at checkout for 15% off of your order. All Grateful Dead dog coats are made with super cozy double-lined polyester fleece or canvas with fleece lining and feature high stitch count embroidered. Grateful Dead, Steal Your Face, Dancing Bear are the very popular dog face steely patches on each side of the coat. Or choose a donut patterned canvas coat to keep your runaway gym or harpua warm this winter. Snug Pups is a family-run business based in rural Pennsylvania with the mission to make it easy, affordable, and fun for every dog owner to be able to dress their dogs for warmth, comfort, and style. Snug Pups' handmade coats fit all dogs of every crazy shape and size with a warm coat that is easy to get on and off your dog. Snug Pups love fitting giant Great Danes and even Mastiffs too. No more wrestling your dog's legs through holes. No more trying to buckle something under your dog's squirming head. Snug Pups coats are simply over the head and one strap around the middle. It's that easy. Your best friend will be so comfy in this fleece, he or she won't want to wear anything else, and all their dog friends will be so envious. Visit snugpups.net to order your Grateful Dead or donut pattern dog coat today. That's S-N-U-G-P-U-P-S dot net. And enter the discount code JAMBASE when you check out to save 15% off of your coat order. Snug Pups is also the sponsor of Jambase's Fish the Skinny Hub, where you can find links to fish show recaps, setlist breakdowns, statistical analysis, and more. The band's current fall tour is turning out one memorable show after another. All that's left is a four-show run in Las Vegas that starts on the night this episode publishes and ends with what's sure to be a spectacle of a concert on Halloween night. Be sure to visit Jambase's Fish the Skinny Hub to find out what happens in Vegas this weekend. In other fall tour news, we're happy to see Grateful Dead drummer Bill Kreutzman rejoin his Dead & Company bandmates in Phoenix on Monday. Billy had sat out the band's previous four shows in Colorado, two at Red Rocks and another pair at Fiddler's Green. His absence was due to a medical issue that went undisclosed besides an assurance that it was not COVID-19. Drummer Jay Lane did a terrific job filling in for Billy on short notice. Jambase recently launched our Dead & Company, The Skinny Hub, featuring links to fall tour recaps, setlist breakdowns and other song stats, video links, and more. The band's tour wraps up this weekend with a three-show Halloween run at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. Check out Jambase's new Dead & Company, The Skinny Hub, to see what treats the band brings to the bowl. All right, now let's get to my interview with Ethan Miller, who I spoke to recently from his home in Humboldt County, California. We spoke mostly about the new Holland Rain album, The Dharma Wheel, which is out now, and I definitely recommend you check it out if you haven't yet. Ethan and I discussed road testing the songs on The Dharma Wheel, including the epic 16-minute title track. We also talked about some of the concepts and influences that helped shape the album. And Ethan described the recording process, which was done in spurts between tours and even while on tour, entering the studio mere hours after walking off stage from a concert the night before. Ethan also shared his experiences working with keyboardist Adam McDougall, who listeners might know from Circles Around the Sun and Chris Robinson Brotherhood. He also told me about the incredible experience of working with renowned violinist Scarlett Rivera, whose many credits include Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder Review. So here's my conversation with Ethan Miller, which will lead into with a bit of the Dharma Wheel track, Under the Wheels.
Well, I, I'm excited to talk to you about your new album, The Dharma Wheel, the new Howlin' Rain album, The Dharma Wheel. I've been listening to it over the past few days. It's it's terrific. I think it's um, it's really a, co- uh, a it comes across as a co- cohesive piece of 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 music of uh, of of an of a singular expression across the six tracks. Um, it did it did it set out to be that way from the beginning? Um. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I guess you don't you don't know if it, if things are going to turn out that way or not. I mean, you hope they do. You know, mm-hmm. I guess always a a little bit of a concern that um, you know, you get to the end of a recording process and sequence everything and you're like, "Wow, it's just not quite, you know, we need one more song or this or that to make it work." But um, you know, I think part of it is that we we really took a long, you know, involved process of you know, writing and arranging and rehearsing and, and stage time with some of these tunes. And after all that, you kind of figure you've, you've got a pretty good handle on them and they, they have some sort of, you know, meaning and flow together. So we were, we were fairly confident that they would, you know. So did it, did, did it ever uh, like appear? um, Like when did it, when did it, occur that these were the six songs that made up the album because you've had these songs and you've played them for a while now they're they're they've you've you've played them live some of them at least live when when was it that you decided that these were the six to make up this the the dharma wheel well we actually recorded like about two plus hours of music for the record so originally i mean here's another thing about kind of the flow you know is that we we conceived of the album as being um uh, you know, like a, uh, maybe a triple album, even at two hours long, you know, yeah. it was going to be a really huge thing. So we, the band managed to track all that music and it was all tracked. And in some cases needed final vocals, needed some guitar overdubs, this kind of stuff like you mm-hmm. do on the second round and third round, sort of after you've got your initial tracking done. Um, but COVID hit right then, you okay. know? And, and so we were, uh you know, we'd, we'd finished about, you know, half of it or slightly under half of it with all the overdubs and ready to mix, um, or, or close to it anyways. And it, we'd been out touring a lot. There was income coming in that could go to, to the recording studio on a constant basis to make this huge, expensive triple album. But when COVID hit and everybody's supposed to lock indoors and put the duct tape on their windows and whatnot for a year, um, that just wasn't going to be realistic. You know, I, I sat down with the, with what we had and took a look and, and said, yeah, this is, you know, it's going to be so expensive to finish this, you know, sprawling to finish two, two plus hours of studio music, the mixing, the overdubs, the travel, especially when you're not supposed to be traveling, you know, I right. didn't really ask the band, um, nor in good conscious, uh, about my health or theirs or, or the studio's health want to ask them to all gather together in that moment mm-hmm. uh, and work. So, um, you know, I started playing with what we had, just shuffling things around in playlists and seeing what it, what it could boil down to. And what you hear now is basically, you know, I said, well, first I'll just take the stuff that's got the most, you know, the most finished that, that doesn't need mm-hmm. much left. And, um, and it boiled down to a really nice little record, you know, and um, even at that, it's a pretty long record. It's not really a little record, but yeah. <laughs> still pretty epic in its own right, you know? Indeed. And, and I thought, you know, there's, there's some vocals I'd like to refinish a few things, but luckily Tim Green 
his studio is out in the, um, out in the, uh, kind of the, the, the foothills and the horse pastures outside of grass Valley, very isolated. Mm-hmm. And he's got a band apartment. So I went out by myself and we worked, you know, privately together on it. And, um, we were able to do that kind of safely and in good conscience during the pandemic and finish up what needed to be done on the record, mix it, do all that stuff. And, and I thought it came out, you know, in a really nice way that, if we put out that second volume now that things are lifting and we can do more studio time, mm-hmm. um, that it will still read just fine as like a multi-volume epic thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and on its own, it, it, it distilled down to a really, uh, you know, a special little album all in itself that doesn't, if that other thing doesn't come out, I think it stands on its own perfectly fine. So it worked out well without getting ahead of an album that hasn't come out yet, have you started looking at that other, those other tracks that you, that aren't part of this record? Yeah. I mean, I haven't started looking back at them like really seriously, like cracking Mm -hmm. up and doing stuff, but some of them pretty much had, I mean, some of them were done. I don't think any of them were mixed, but some of them were completely done and could have gone on this one. And I just said that it or let's hold it, you know? Um, so yeah, we'll have to see, uh, when we came out of the other side of COVID, two of our band members that were part of the Dharma wheel band, the alligator bride band, Dan and Jeff were both gone. They'd gone on to other pastures. So we've got a new band now and a new chapter, um, with, uh, Kyer Wilcox and Jason Soda on guitar. Kyer's on bass. Okay. So part of what we might do is revisit that unfinished material, see if it jives with the new band, you know, or, um, you know, maybe I pull things for special release or some of it's definitely going to come out. I mean, one of the tunes, Scarlet Rivera even played violin on, and it's, it's a super like raved up rolling thunder kind of thing with her like blazing solos and stuff. So no brainer, that's going to, that's going to make the heat, you know? So you mentioned Scarlet. Um, she is legendary. Um, how did that collaboration come about? That it's it, her. I mean, she sounds amazing on the record. Uh, it, it's be, her, her, Contributions are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was really thrilled with um, the whole experience of working with her. Um, that song I just mentioned, uh, it's called Burn Down. And we we recorded it kind of in the style of, of the Rolling Thunder, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, kind of the roving, you know, sort of blast of energy, that live stuff that you saw in that movie footage you know that's and um you know it was done i think i was talking to the drummer justin smith um and the helen rain drummer and he said wow you know it'd be perfect if we could get a a violin player to like blaze some some you know rolling thunder violin on this and he he told me that you know he and his wife had been at a club recently and that he you know scarlet played around town and that he you know he heard her playing he's like i could i could hear that tone before i even saw her coming around the corner i recognized it you know oh yeah and that later that night um you know his wife kim had been uh you know at the bar chatting with scarlet and that they kind of made friends and stuff and i said well you know shoot can 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 she get scarlet's phone number for me <laughs> so i can contact and see if she'd come in you know yeah and play on it and and kim gave me the number and scarlet and i did some texting and all that stuff and phone call whatever and um and she was down and i played her this song you know i sent her annabelle or right. i sent her 
I sent her a few songs, but I, I sent her Annabelle uh, in particular. She, she really dug that song, you know, and said, Oh man, I just, I just love this song. And, um, you know, beautiful lyrics, beautiful song. This is, this is really cool. I'd like to be fun to play on it. So, um, and then she, uh, when, when she was in there, of course I said, well, how about a couple others too? <laughs> well, so what, how was the process of her adding the, so you, it sounds like you kind of had gotten to some sort of almost completion with the tracks when she was brought in was she, so was she did she track everything separately yes she didn't perform with the band yeah okay. interesting. yeah the song was basically done and um yeah we just had her you know had her do some passes i had mapped out places i wanted her to play and then if she and but she basically just you know kind of played through the whole song as if she was a member of the band you know and so was it pretty cool when you got her submissions to get to hear those stems? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was there. I heard what she oh, was doing. So in the you moment. were there for the, you were there with her during the yeah, recording. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, but, I, but the I band wasn't. I got you. Okay. Yeah, and and um, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, it was it was chill inducing, you know, when she was doing takes in the other room and you hear it coming out there. And you just gave me goosebumps thinking about it. Man. Well, it was, it was, <laughs> it was chill inducing, you know, the, the song burn down to has the ISIS chords. So okay. when she, you know, and it's, it's kind of full tilt, you know, like mm-hmm. rolling under like, um, you know, blaster and, and when, uh, you know, when she ripped into the solos on that song, you know, it, it was full, yeah, full spinal, you know, chill. hair on the neck, hair, hair on the back, standing up. Just like, what? And yeah. she came back and was like, yeah, okay, I recognize those chords once we got in there. I started selling, <laughs> yeah. I, get, I, get I get I recognize that. Isis, you know, here we go. That's very so, cool. Um, I was like, oh, okay, I thought you wouldn't notice. I <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was great and she, you know, like all these cats that, that, that lived a, lived a life, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in some major things in the sixties and seventies like that, um, you know, she had stories to tell and stuff. So that, that was fun too. We spent some good time, you know, with her regaling us with, you know, so it was, it was a fun hang misadventures and, and wild beads and tales and of the, of the seventies and the thunder and all that stuff. Yeah. It Very was. cool. Very it cool. Was was it's always fun when i mean someone like that you're like oh wow you know this person is really a character they're really fun to be around for the price of admission you don't just get a performance you know you get their personality mm-hmm. you get stories you, you you know it's not just a you know a grumpy bitter person willing to lay down something you know in, ex- in exchange for you know cash it's like ah this is you know, this is great. Everybody's everybody. a real interaction. Yeah. Everyone's having fun here. I think, you know, yeah, she's that's awesome. Loving that's very cool. We're loving hearing them. This is yeah. I hope the afternoon never ends. Well, I hope to hear that other unreleased track that she plays on someday soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you will for sure. It sounds like it. While we're talking about the guest contributors, um, Adam McDougall also plays some fantastic 
keys on the album. Um, what, how was how was he tapped to be part of the project? Um, and, and and again, sort of what point was he brought in? Um, you know, same same kind of thing. We'd finish the songs in tracking, finish the overdubs. Basically, you know, vocals were done. Maybe they were finals. I can't remember, but enough that you know these these players could hear the song in its in its entirety mm-hmm. and know what they were playing again. Mm-hmm. So Adam, uh, he. Uh, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, at this point, he's probably, you know, the closest, you know, keyboard player the band has to family there, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he spent a lot of time that year, um, you know, rubbing elbows and backstages and at at, uh, at different kinds of gigs and doing some performances together. And, and um, you know, he's he's been around Helen Rain either when we did support or, you know, Crows or CRB or any of his various things. Right. You know, we were doing did some gigs in LA with Circle Around the Sun and stuff. So, um, you know, we were constantly kind of rubbing elbows and whatnot, and um, and and very familiar with each other's musical thing. You know, yeah, yeah, and supportive both ways. Um, so that seemed like a no brainer. That's not to even begin to mention just you know his prowess at you know seventies funky you know analog synth and yes he's so distinct i mean immediately you hear him and it's like oh he's on this record (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, and that's exactly what i wanted i kind of was like oh it'd be fun to have keys but i don't just want you know i can do a little some little b3 pads or something like that if you Mm -hmm. want to just yield some keys like i you know i was like if we want to do that same with scarlet we want to hear someone that sounds like the fifth member of the band you know, right. it sounds like they are a part of the band, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in both cases, both those players are so distinctive, have such distinctive personalities that I think they really, you know, both fit in and in some cases made the, you know, made the tracks all the way. And was, were you with Adam during his tracking? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One of them, we, we did two days of tracking and we did keys on both of the, the, the whole triple album or whatever. Oh, okay. So in two different sessions, long sessions, um, Jason Soto was the engineer and it was at his studio at Palomino sound in Los Angeles. He's since become the new guitarist of Helen rain. So there you go. Um, but they were two long days and Scarlett came in in the afternoon and, and then, uh, Adam came in, you know, okay. she, she probably spent, you know, three hours or something. And then, mm-hmm. Adam came in and we spent, you know, told untold hours into the night, you know, one, one, uh, tequila bottle later and, and lots of cups of coffee and other whatever's, you know, and tons of funky keys. <laughs> tons of funky keys. Yeah. He was, he was, um, basically laying down on the most fun stuff, the stuff that sounds the best, like don't let the tears and right. rotoscope and stuff and prelude. He was just laying out improv takes you know where he'd just run through it um and then later you know and i'd say don't you know let's not worry about perfecting this something like don't let the tears a very complicated arrangement um let's just you know get it to where you're really having fun and know what's happening and you can express you know great way and i'll edit it into a cohesive track later you know and so both his performances in the room. And then I did the editing myself later and it was just a thrill, you know, because, um, 
you know, the, the, each track was just a treasure full of all these different ideas and all these different sounds and just like sonic geographies. I mean, the places that he can go, um, you know, geographically speaking, as far as the, the texture and the, and the sonics and the, and the timbre of the instruments that he's using um, in just a few seconds, you know, is, yes. is so broad that, mm -hmm. um, you know, that made it, you asked earlier if I, if it was a thrill when I got the stems back from Scarlet. So yeah, I was there and it was still a thrill when I got the stems back from, mm -hmm. you know, Adam, because I was yeah. like, wow, I, I, it's here it all is again, you know, these crazy things that were moving too fast for me to really comprehend, you know, in the moment. And uh, yeah, that, that was a real, a real highlight of the record. It was really fun. Did he, is, is he playing piano on the title track? Is that his little, is, is that piano? He plays piano. Yeah, he played, he played, there's a grand in there and he played a grand on that. And he played on the, the, the song Dharma Wheel also has a grand piano. Um, i trying to think if anything else does. I, I don't think so. I think those are the two. Rise, over and over the to talk to you about the title track it's 16 minutes long uh epic i think is is a is an accurate um descriptor for it um how does something like a 16 minute track like that come together for you does it is it all sort of one burst of inspiration is it kind of legoing together different pieces to to put it together how's how does that work for you well that song i had written the basic chords and, and riffs and stuff i think in about 2012 or 13 and i kind of wow. just written that that basic intro riff um to go into the first session or the first practice or whatever you want to call it that this other band i'm in called feral Ohms had and we played that riff and just jammed on it, it was fun and i ended up kind of writing the rest of the song out basically what you see there you know some of the other parts um maybe there was like five other basic parts to it, not 25, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it did have the same basic structure. It had the breakdown and the build back up and then ended again. Um, I don't think it ever went back to the original part again, but it was there in a skeletal form. We actually recorded a demo of it. And my friend Jay Babcock that used to run Arthur magazine and stuff, he, you know, he, he listened to it. He said, Oh, you know, even I always thought that was a Howlin' Rain song or minute for Howlin' Rain. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and we kind of thought so too. Furlums kept getting louder and faster and more like kind of black flaggy and stuff. And this, the, the more seventies arena plus, you know, psychedelic kind of kept phasing out of the band. 
And so that song, you know, went out of our set and just went away for you know, seven or eight years or something, or however long it was till we started writing this album in 2019. Was it called Dharma Wheel? No, that band? no, no, okay. it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, there, there was some basic references to Thomas Pynchon's book V in the original, and it does have, you know, it's about a World War One soldier that's like traveling from you know, from, from life into the neck, into death, you know, and the, and the, and this kind of interdimensional thing that's going on. Um, sort of like some of the interdimensional stuff that happens in Pynchon's book. Um, and so that, that was some of the basis of the original lyrics. Some of the lyrics were there and stuff. Some of those references to the book, V and the, and the character V the woman V. And, mm -hmm. um, and I carried those on, but I kind of fleshed them out to, to make it a little more epic. And I, I basically, when I was taking songs in for the guys to see what they liked, um, you know, I said, oh, what the hell? This is a cool song. And I remember it kind of rang in my ear that Jay was like, that was always meant to be a Halloween song, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and with a little echo on his voice, you know, back yeah. down, oh, shoot, I'll try it, you know. And um, so I, I played it for him and they're like, OK, OK, you know, I'm listening. I'm listening. That's interesting. Cool. Let's check it out. And um and we got into it and it felt good. And it was kind of like, oh, maybe this was meant to be, you know, maybe Jay was right. And, you know, we just, we didn't try to make it more epic. We didn't try to cut it down. That That's kind of the, the marching orders for the whole making of this record and all the music that we did was just to try to follow the, the natural path. Let the band as a whole speak in its language, react and act upon the music in its most natural way. If it's supposed to be 72 minute song, then it just keeps going until it's done. You know, if it's supposed to be 17 second song, that's okay too. That we never really, you know, would, would bind these, um, the, the work with saying, you know, oh, we, we can't, we can't have another 16 minute song guys. This is crazy. How can we cut it down? Like, let's just let it be natural. No rules, you know? And that one just honestly, it, it, it just went to that place. It was already a little epic when it started taking it. Carolum's demo for him, you know, it probably was already eight minutes or nine minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I kept writing little things for it and the band is like those and said, cool, it, it, it's, it can house those things that you're doing. And, you know, we can just keep working that arrangement and it sounds beautiful, you know? And then once you got in that epic form, you're kind of like, okay, cool. The challenge is on, you know, how do yeah. we make it? So there's no lull so that, so that it never lags so that it never, uh, it, it never feels like, okay, they did this for themselves. They wanted to do an 18 minute song or something like that. You know, it's supposed to feel like, wow, I don't know how long that was. I just went into it, traveled through with it and came out the other side. I, I found myself on the first time listening to it, I was driving around in the car and I just kept turning <laughs> the volume up. It's one of those, like, and by the, by the end, it was like full blast, windows down just rocking out like waiting for the turns and no and they a lot of the record feels familiar but still new and i, I think that's something that you capture a lot in your sound is 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 that something that you you try to achieve is, is there you've mentioned sort of some sort of you know familiarity to difference to, to past sounds is that an active thought in, with what you're doing i don't know um I don't know. I, 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 I mean, familiarity to past sounds is, 
I think something that, that everybody does, you know, that, yes, that, you know, that we all reference things we like, you know, some, mm-hmm. some things might be, you're trying to use cutting edge technology. Um, but you, you know, you're, you're referencing something that's, that's happening, even if it's right at the cutting edge that someone just used it like that. Oh, interesting. I see they use this computer and this app for these things and we can use it for this and this mastering technique. And, yeah. you know, um, and then there's also, you know, uh, you know, Hendrix used a, a strat and this kind of wah pedal and, and use, you know, the, the ohm setting wrong on his amp to get this kind of sound that was in 1969 and it's still doing an interesting thing and, and, mm-hmm. and creating a, a creative, uh, you know, creative technique for people in 2021. So, um, you know, that's kind of a broad spectrum of, uh, you know, on, on that level. And in terms of the song itself, I don't know, I kind of take it as a compliment because sometimes when you see, when you hear music, and it feels very familiar, but you know, it's new to you as long as that's not in a detrimental way. Like it feels very familiar. Like there could be a copyright lawsuit. You yeah, know? No. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely meant it as a compliment. I think like that, it definitely is, is not meant to any, anything but a compliment. I think like, and that's something that's hard to achieve is that familiarity that doesn't come off as sounding like copyright achievement or a uh, uh, rip off or even just, um, not clever, you know, not, not, um, not unique or new, not fresh. There's still a freshness with what you do, despite it having it, it being rooted in, in a familiarity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I not, I'm not comparing us, you know, our, our abilities to the Beatles or something, but I think that, you know, when I think back to some of the Beatles songs that I heard, when if I think as hard as I can about hearing like, Hey Jude for the first time Mm -hmm. that still it resonates me resonates with me that there was a familiarity there you know when that that's part of what um you know part of what uh just you know it just feels like it feels like family or part of your like human dna or something and you and you you hear it and you and you think oh you know this is like it's so simple. It's like, it's been in, it's been just like here in the ether all this time. And it's well, that's what I was going to say. It's almost as if the song already existed, right. you know, it, right. And like, you just captured it, like, or, or whoever just grabs it out of the air and, and, and serves it to us. And that's what I, that, I, I think that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. I think that that's a, and, um, not comparing to the Beatles, but trying to achieve what the Beatles did is a good, you know, marker for, for a band to try to strive for. There's not, there's no wrong in that. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that, if that stuff's intentional. It's like, I kind of equate it with, you know, some, some movie stars you see come on to the, to the screen and you see them and you think, man, I've been watching this person. I feel like my whole life, like they just have this look like the first time you saw George Clooney in a movie or something like, man, I must've been seeing this guy for 25 years. He looks like a yeah. classic movie star, right? Yeah. He just looks like a dictionary definition of like leading man or whatever. Mm-hmm. You look and you're like, he has no film credits, you know, it's like, what, you know? And then other actors, you see them and they're so distinctive and weird looking or something. You're like, I know I've never seen this guy before, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, and music can be the same way, you know? And it's not that one, is better than the other. You do hear some things that are very radical and you go like, wow, that is different. You know, I've never heard that done quite like that. And then other things that you're like, that feels like 
you know, like you said, like air DNA that was just made manifest or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think, you know, anyone can really, I don't know if you can manufacture that, you know, I mean, it may just be of the opinion, you know, of your own perception yeah. or not, you know, I'm not sure. said before that you let the songs kind of dictate where they go does that happen when you play them live are you finding new things are you using it improvisation during your shows to to develop the songs you mean before the, the songs were recorded yes exactly yeah yeah you know you use anything anything that happens i mean if somebody plays the wrong chord and you go back and listen to the recording and you're like whoa you know and someone's like oh screwed up right there and you're like wait a second you know yeah you did but maybe it's the right chord <laughs> that was very interesting what happened you know it's like um you know it it made this thing happen this different sound so um you know you grab every you grab anything you just keep you know and until that record's mastered and sent off and, and the printing press is about to print those records. Don't ever shut the door on, on, or the window on anything, you know, let make sure that anything can come in and out of that window. You know, you want all the birds and bees and insects and everything flying through there. So, um, and, and stay, stay wary of them. And that, yeah, that includes improv sections, you know, mistakes. Uh, let's try it slower. Let's try it faster. Let's mm-hmm. try it, you know, Maybe I'll try just surprising the guys with a coda tonight. They have no idea it's coming. I'm just going to start playing something at the end of the song. And, you know, just don't, don't uh, you know, don't ever shut the window till it's all, all over. Does it then ever become difficult when you do go into the studio to come up with a definitive version of a, of a song that maybe has gone through some evolution on, in the live stage? In our case, we keep, we keep boiling, keep boiling it down, you know, simmering it down. So, um, and on each one of these, we were doing, you know, minor adjustments down to the last keeper tape, you know, I mean, we, we, we were on tour, we're playing a lot of these songs, you know, the night before Saturday night, middle of the night, we're playing them Sunday morning at 11 AM. We're playing them in the studio for the record. Mm -hmm. And that, um, we haven't always been afforded that opportunity. And it is, if you've really rehearsed, really taking your time with arranging and rehearsal in a very comfortable way, not too much time where you're like, we did four years and just argue between <laughs> the ground, but, but just a nice, diligent, like, cool, everybody happy, we're done, we're moving on and keep, you know, keep secretarial about it, keep it moving. 
let's take them out on the road. Let's see what, what the, what the fans think, what the energy of the room does when we hit these different parts, you know? And then in the van the next day, like, did you guys notice, you know, did you feel this and that? And like, yes, we all did. Like, let's consider this part, you know, that, that this may be the strongest part or the weakest part of the song, you know? And, and that's happening consistently each night. Let's make some adjustments. And, um, and then you do the same thing. You get, you finally get in there in the studio, you perform it. And there's a couple last little things to do. Hopefully only a few, you know, where you say, uh, okay, let's lean that back a little bit right there. It feels like we're leaning too far forward and it's a little rushy or something. Let's, you know, let's relax this and make it feel really um, you know, really loose, real, real breezy, you know, and, and then bam, hit it. And okay. That's, that's about good. You know, it's about, about where we're going to get it to. And you know, there's an art form and, um, kind of, I think what your question is getting at there, there is an art form in calling it good too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and saying, um, saying it I guess good. that's what it boils down to is like, when do you know it's good or, or I guess even good enough. Right. You know what? You have a fairly small window to to be able to tell, like where you can say, you can listen back, say, "That sounds great. That's great. Let's keep it." And then you can listen to the next take. Say you do. We, we would often do three takes of any song because we figured one of those will probably be a great, great take. And then if there's anything weak about that, if it's like, "Ah, oh, it was a perfect take, but we did that weak bridge or whatever." grab the bridge from another one, you know, and put it in. And the thing is after those three takes or after you listen to those three takes more than a couple of times, your head starts playing games. You start getting a little bit like monotone. Oh, you're not sure if the feel was good enough. Like could that part have been better? You start going micro. Is that, uh, maybe this wasn't, maybe we should keep Mm -hmm. going, you know? So I don't know. That whole thing is a little bit of a blend of art, science and black magic of, you know, it's, it's a good place to sort of set rules for yourself. Let's just do three takes or set it aside for the day. Just listen, make decisions quickly. If you're sure about something, you know, go with it at that point. Because, yeah, if you get four, four band members and an engineer slash producer in the room that start listening to things over and over and everybody starts having different opinions about everything and, you know, that it, it, it uh, everybody's minds going a little down wormholes and stuff that that stuff gets pretty tricky was that also dictated by the way that you were recording sort of how you just described playing a show till late at night and then showing up the next day and being in the studio because you just had that day to record because then you were going on to the next gig did that make it sort of have to be kind of more workmanlike kind of like let's cut it and, and and rip through it and get it done um, you know what? We have, I mean, but also capturing that live vibe. I mean, I don't, I didn't mean that to sound negative, right? I meant more like going in there and doing what you did last night on stage and getting it done and, and rolling on to the next gig, getting it done in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's not negative when you're really well rehearsed and you've taken these songs live that it is a lot more like that. You know what you just mm-hmm. get in there and get it done. You just you bang them out. You know yeah. what I mean? It's exactly where you want to be when you go into the studio. Let's bang these things out, you know, so we can get to the barbecue and have a few beers and stuff and then watch him do overdubs while we drink beers or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> nobody wants to be in there standing around tracking over and over. Take 17 of a yeah. 16 minute song. What's mm-hmm. wrong with it? 
maybe something's fundamentally wrong with it. You know <laughs> exactly. what I mean? Maybe we need yeah. to rewrite this thing right now, <laughs> you know, and the, you know, nobody wants that. So, so the ideal in a studio is banging it out. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like, Hey, count it off, play it. Great. How was that? It was good. Banging out, can't, you know, banging out, count it off, play it again. Cool. Anything that needs adjustment. Oh, that one little part, do this or that, you know, maybe try to watch the tempo at this thing and, and you watch the, you know, guitar breakdown and, and then bang it out and done. You know what I mean? Like it just, uh, yeah, that, that, that is, that is what you are afforded if you've really rehearsed and taken your time with arrangement and played these on the road. And, and we didn't want to upset that, um, because it's kind of the reward for all that work. Yeah. You know, for, for all the work that went into it, you know, you, you have to think harder, you have to analyze harder. You're just not as sure when you're doing studio stuff off the cuff, you know, and trying to, trying to, to produce an accomplished sounding record, not just something that sounds whimsical and, you know, of the moment. But so, um, yeah, you know, that was, that's, that's sort of the, so, so speaking of being on tour, you, you, I know you just played a couple of shows last week and you've got, you're headed, I think to Seattle tomorrow. Yeah. Seattle. I used to live in Seattle. I, I love it there. Um, how, how were the, how were the first two gigs? How's that going? How, how's the new band working out? They're great. I mean, the new band is, is awesome. Um, we're having a blast. Um, you know, and even in the first two gigs, yeah, you can just, Feel, oh, okay, it's nice to be here instead of the rehearsal space. We worked hard. Now we can really, you know, blast this thing off. Um, and that doubly so after a year and a half of being down from COVID, you know, yeah. for all of us. Um, the world is weird out there. You know, it is the U.S. is uh, not not through their big problem of, of pandemic yet. No doubt. And yet the world is moving on. I mean, the world, the world being the United States, the United States, yeah. the, our world of our country within saying our country is the world, you know, it's moving on. People are going to gigs. They're getting back to it. Um, I suppose they've had enough, you know, for better or for worse. We're not sure if the outcome will be okay because of that or not. Um, so uh, it's interesting on two fronts, you know, being up here in Humboldt, we're in a bit of a bubble. And I felt like even life in the Bay Area was a bit of a bubble too, because everybody's masked, everybody's concerned about the virus, everybody's watching the numbers. You know, the city is very much on top of those things. Our little town out here in Humboldt, you might think it might be, you know, kind of a ho dunk operation, but all through COVID, they've been ultra cautious. You know, yeah, it still feels even more than than the outside world. Very, very cautious here. You know, very masked up, um, and um, you know, you go out there and you hit certain places where you're just like, this could be like 2016. There's no, there is no, no acknowledgement of anything going on, you know, that I can yeah. tell except these four band members have masks on, you know what I mean? And yeah. they're trying yeah. to get this tour. Um, and then, you know, like Reno had a big, uh, you know, you had to show a vaccine card to get in. It was a big event as part of a citywide festival. And we stayed at the Nugget afterwards. The Nugget had all masks. And you could see they had a big outdoor event center where they'd been having big concerts, Kiss the week before. And we know that, you know, the the uh, the, the Stones, the Crows, the Guns N' Roses doing stadium-sized gigs and stuff. So yeah. um, 
you know, it's all firing back up or it's all been fired back up and it's rolling. Um, and when you get out there in the middle of that, if you haven't been out there yet, it's a little, it's a little surprising. It's a little weird. You know, it's just, it, it's very interesting in two shows. I haven't quite got my head completely around what it all means. You know, I'm just sort of like I'm back out here in the world now I'm being as safe as I can. The band keeps a mask on with everyone except the four band members of us in the van it comes off at the hotel it comes off and stays on the whole rest of the time so yeah it's interesting it's interesting i mean life in theory i hope it doesn't it could look like what this tour looks like eight years from now we could still be doing this stuff diseases could be around they could come and go for months at a time and then come back other things come and you know they're so dangerous to us because things i don't know why you know so it's interesting in some ways it feels like nothing has changed out there and in others you know the whole world is a different place yeah we, we like to say go see live music at jam Bass. and lately we've been saying like if you could do it safely go see live music <laughs> or like wear a mask and go see live music yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know you know we'll see how it all uh i you know it's kind of a reminder you know people they 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 persevere and they adapt yeah. You know, and sometimes, I mean, I, let's just, I can even keep the positive or the negative out of that. I don't know whether all this getting back to it is, po- is a positive or negative, if it's foolhardy or if it, if it is time to mm-hmm. do, do as such. But um, it does remind that people, you know, in mass, kind of like animals or insects, you know, it doesn't take very long before left to our own devices. We just say, uh, okay. This is happening. Adapt. Yes. Step into it. Oh, power has been off for 10 days. By day two, entire, you know, cities and towns are adapting, you know, doing right. and you're like, wow, you know, three days ago, I could not have imagined life without power. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for pandemic. Yeah, it seems like we're just going to forever be adapting from, you know, there's, I, I joke, uh, what, what is normal? You know, what, what does that even mean anymore? There's no such thing. It's, it's just a, it's, it's an ever changing future for us. It seems. Yeah. Well, if you take, if you take our ability, you know, any religious aspects or our technical, you know, our technology abilities out of it, you know, out of the picture, I would say that, you know, human beings most powerful attribute as a creature of the earth is probably adaptability you know resilience yeah yeah, individually or or in um in mass you know Mm -hmm. i mean it it happens extremely quickly there probably aren't a lot of other things that as individuals are in mass can just keep pivoting and adapting and doing these things you know so um I don't know. It's probably not the most positive thing for everything else on the earth. <laughs> They're yeah. like, when will they just go away? Stop <laughs> having this giant human cancer. We thought we had them this time. <laughs> everything up for us. Yeah, totally. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I really, I, I can't, um, uh, thank you enough. Everybody out there listening should check out the Dharma wheel, the new Holland rain record. It comes out on Friday, October 8th. Uh, stay safe out there. Stay, uh, in, enjoy your tour. Um, best of luck to you. Thanks again for talking to me, man. Thanks, man. It's been fun. All right. Take care, Ethan. Bye.
And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Jambase podcast. Our many thanks to all of you out there for listening. Thanks also to Ethan Miller for taking some time to talk with me. Be sure to check out the new Howlin' Rain album, The Dharma Wheel, wherever you find good music. Thanks also to Jake Alexander for helping produce this episode. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, happy Halloween. Stay safe out there. And go see live music. <laughs>